What we're gonna do right here is go back. Way back. Back in the time. What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and the Aints, also known as Holy Shit Pod, a holy, irreverent, irreverently holy conversation about spirituality, culture, and the world. I am your favorite podcast host, the Reverend Brandon T. Maxwell, and I just stopped by to let you know that Katie, Sam, and I are reclaiming our time collectively and individually. We needed a small break, y'all, so we planned to bring y'all a new episode today called The Gospel According to TikTok. If you were looking forward to that, you'll have to wait one more week. In lieu of that, we want to take a moment to revisit our earliest conversation here on Holy Shit Pod. We've received quite a few questions and a few statements, angry messages with questions that I think we answered in the first episode. No tea, no shade. Not every listener starts from the beginning of a podcast or the beginning of a book for that matter. Some clearly dive right into the episode with the title they hate the most and just start emailing. Again, no tea, no shade. But if that sounds like you, this one's for you. Take a ride with us back to episode one on holiness or hell which outlines the reasons for this podcast and the spirit with which we engage our conversations. As always, you can email questions and comments to holyshit at theolapmedia.com. We'll be back next week with the TikTok episode we promised. But for now, let's get into it again. So when I hear the word holiness, I am immediately triggered. Why are you triggered? Well, it conjures up messages that I heard from my friends who were part of like Pentecostal traditions, which place a significant emphasis on holiness for the sake of like receiving the Holy Spirit. But I think the lyrics to this gospel song provide the best summary of the messages I heard about holiness. The lyrics are horrible. It's uh, there's a difference between wrong and right. There's a difference between darkness and light. There's no compromise. We got to draw the line. Sin is still a reproach. But holiness. Holiness. It's right. I mean, I actually kind of like the song because it does bump. And I love it. It's theatrical. It's like some of the best gospel music, but the lyrics. And the reality is like the lyrics are true. The church mothers actually did indeed say things like it's holiness of hell or, you know, the Bible is right. Oh, the Bible is right. Somebody is wrong. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Even in my Baptist congregation, we weren't even that, we weren't Pentecostal at all. And people didn't get the Holy Ghost in our church. (laughs) But being holy, being upright, devout, pious, saintly was a central theme of many of the Sunday school and Bible study lessons and even the sermons. I grew up Baptist as well. We didn't go quite as far as holiness and Pentecostals went. Uh, We believed in this idea of holiness and right living and all of this stuff. But we kind of believed in it, even if we didn't practice it right. So we would talk about it and preach it. And then like the preacher would be standing outside the church smoking after service. And like, (laughs) you know, he got like girlfriends throughout the church and all that stuff. And he also had some boyfriends too. Y'all just didn't know about them. We just didn't know about it. But no, I, I grew up with that same paradigm that you can live a certain life that somehow made you less human and more divine. Hmm. What about you, Rix? Well, we didn't talk about holiness at all, so... That's not surprising, because white folks are so so hellish. I'm not shocked. (laughs) White folks be so hellish. They own slaves. Of course they didn't talk about holiness. (laughs) Like, oh, how you gonna talk about holiness? So when we were talking about this, I was like, uh, I gotta figure out what the language is that we used. I mean... Piety. No, but we didn't... I mean, it's, it's... you're supposed to do good in the world. So we talk about justification and sanctification, but we didn't talk about that in church. What you learn is that you're just supposed to do good. Be a good person, and do good in the world, serve people in the world. I think what I understood that to be is perfection. You were supposed to do things right. So I didn't have that kind of understanding of God, but I knew that I was supposed to have my shit together all of the time and to quote unquote, help other people and to do good in the world. So you're never allowed to not have your shit together. That's what being holy was. But we didn't talk about holiness at all. 
I mean, it sounds like works righteousness to use yeah. that kind of played out yes. phrase. Yes. A Methodism really is the starting point of a lot of the holiness tradition. It actually isn't the Pentecostal movements, but it's the Methodist Church and John Wesley who thought about Christianity in two phases. There was the salvation where you were saved. And then there was the sanctification, which was a second process. And really, it had a lot to do with the work that you did, doing good in the world and ultimately trying to be perfect. I don't know how we got to the slave trade with those ideals, but we did. I think the other thing that is challenging for me, and it's not unique to white folks, but white folks do it the best. Like holy people are often the most hellish ones. Like you were saying, Sam, like you said, the pastor would preach a sermon and then go out and smoke a cigarette or a blunt. For me, it was my Pentecostal friends who were always like, uh-uh, holiness is right. And then they come and they be knocked up without a husband. And I'm like, okay, that's not holy. Hello? Like, that can't be holiness. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> At least not the way that they espouse it, right? Not the way that they teach it. Correct. You're teaching that holiness is this works righteousness. Like you have got to live right. You've got to be set apart or distinct from the rest of the world. And so if the world is drinking, you can't be drinking. And if the world is out partying, you can't be partying because you got to be sanctified. Right. And then all your children pregnant out of wedlock. But you condemning everybody else. And so like, I'm with you, Brandon. It's like the holy folks are the worst ones. So I don't want to be holy if this is what holy, <laughs> holy Holiness is a contradiction. Katie, did y'all have all those kind of uh, things that were about behavior modifications? That's a helpful word because I was like, what is the word that I or phrase I want to use for that? We didn't talk about behavior modifications. So y'all's children was just like smoking and drinking from a very young age. <laughs> Correct. Y'all I came mean, out the womb with a blunt and a glass of wine. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That wasn't even talked about at church. It wasn't about behavior modification, but it was about doing good works or participating in some committee. These are the things that you do. If you're doing things right, you're you're working hard at the church each week. Well, so I want to hold these things in tension because we're talking about holiness means don't cuss, don't smoke, don't drink, don't have sex. And it's also, you should do these things. I mean, in a way, that is still a behavior modification, right? And so the implicit message was, Holiness was about behavior modifications and conforming to a very narrowly defined type of Christianity. In my church, that meant you didn't have sex before marriage, which also led to many of us not having sex during and or after our marriages. <laughs> you weren't supposed to drink anything that wasn't water. We didn't even have wine for communion. I was so liberated when I found that white people had wine in that cup. You didn't use any profanity because that wasn't holy speech. You couldn't smoke anything, no cigarettes, no cigars, no blunts. They even went so far as to say that we couldn't masturbate in our church because that was an unholy act. Well, you really should do that at home if you're going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not at church. (laughs) I I, I agree with that rule. You should not masturbate in church, Brandon. But they said the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I'm just trying to offer my seed unto the Lord. That's what we're talking about, sow a seed. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> That's what they say. You, you seen the pastor say so? <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> wow. That took a turn. I mean, but holiness quite literally for at least us meant self-denial. And I still think there's a way in which for even the Presbyterians, you were supposed to be feeding the homeless or going to start a food ministry or whatever it is, like that still is about some type of self-denial. And that just isn't a sustainable way to live. And it doesn't reflect what I think it actually means to be holy. You're exactly right about this self-denial. I mean, Presbyterians didn't talk about sex. We definitely didn't talk about masturbation in the church. So, But what about at home? <laughs> or at home, right. I mean, those are just not things that were even talked about. You were supposed to tithe. You were supposed to work. Brandon, it, it, I feel like we grew up in the same church, just in different locations, because I had very similar experiences. But now I'm really, really living into this humanist thing. If you don't know what that is, Brandon, I'll tell you all about it. So humanism is basically like a philosophical approach to the world that does emphasize humanity and the fact that humans have agency both individually and collectively, and as opposed to leaning on a deity of some sort to say that God is at work in the world, or we got to wait on God to do X or God to move, it emphasizes the fact that humans have agency. And if there is to be human freedom, if there is to be human progress, if there is to be any sort of justice, that will come because humans are being intentional about the ways that they live in relationship to the world. We could do an entire episode on humanism. I was introduced to it by Anthony Penn. Anthony Penn is a scholar at Rice University in Texas. But if you are interested in humanism, 
Just keep listening. I'm certain it will keep coming up. In understanding humanism, I'm looking back and I'm like, all of this was some bullshit. Most of the time that holiness is used, like in the Old Testament, it is describing God. It's talking about God's holiness. It literally means like sanctification. It's describing how God is holy because God is set apart. God is hallowed. God is sacred. And so for us, human beings conflate this word with the plurality of humanity. Like just because you're different doesn't mean you're holy. And I think a lot of our traditions say, oh, you need to be holy. You don't need to smoke. You don't need to drink. You don't need to do this. And so because you've made different life choices, somehow that sets you apart. No, no matter what you do, you're still human. There is nothing that you can do that makes you, in a sense, sanctified in the way that we describe the holiness of God. And if you are to ever be set apart in that way, God has to do that. And so this idea that we can somehow make ourselves holy, that's just not the case. Like, we leave that to God. Don't worry about being holy. Just be human. And I think that's exactly what it's about, Sam. It's about being human. For those who identify as Christians, when you think about Jesus, we often like to emphasize the Christ part of that. Jesus, the Christ. And we don't like to emphasize the fact that Jesus was a human. And one gospel was called the human one, the son of man, the son of humanity. Jesus wasn't walking around here talking about I'm blessed and highly favored and God is so good. No, Jesus was like going out and fishing with motherfuckers. And he was like walking down the street and like, why is that little man in that tree up there? Hey, what's your name? Can I come eat some food at your house? I'm hungry. Right. He was letting the madam wash his feet. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother episode. I'm not doing that with you today. Yeah. Okay, we ain't gonna talk about that. <laughs> I ain't doing that with you today. Katie was like, yeah, nah. Uh-uh. <laughs> so are you done with what you're saying, Brandon? Yes, Heifer. <laughs> She's acting slow today. You can go, Katie. Do you feel unsafe? <laughs> did you feel better having another white no, person here? I, did, I, did. I can go put on a white hood <laughs> or something. <laughs> Y'all are horrible. I want y'all to know y'all are horrible. I think that for me, holiness is being exactly who I was created to be and to connect with God and to connect with other people in that. So for me, it's defined as God. But I think that holiness could be something that isn't necessarily Christian or religious or what have you, but it is one's authentic self. As we're sitting here, I'm thinking about how that's what I was yearning for in the church, right? Was this understanding of authenticity as opposed to this perfection. And so what I understand holiness to be now is a reflection of what I was yearning for then. Once you know who you are and what you are in relationship with God, then you are inevitably called to be in relationship with other people and to serve I mean, I would say to serve God and God's people in the world, but but it, that they're linked, right? Because once it is that you know yourself as a human, as a created being of God, then inevitably you are set out to serve other people. It's amazing that you were yearning for authenticity in the church and Brandon was masturbating, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. We clearly grew up in different contexts. <laughs> Definitely. But also... I will say, I will just for the record, I do not think that I've ever masturbated in the church. I hope not. I honestly think that it's fine. That is a fine thing to do in the church. In the church? As well as in other... I mean, you can do that anywhere, but it's a public place is maybe not so good. Oh, okay. So you're saying if you snuck in the church after hours, it would be okay? Why you got to sneak in? Because it's typically locked. Do it on Sunday. Do it on Sunday in front of everybody. No, I'm just playing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's shift the conversation. No, but Katie, I was listening to you say that, and so I talked about being human and not being holy. But in your description, if there was a way for a person to be holy, quote unquote, it is by being authentically themselves. If If there was a way for them to be set apart, to be truly sanctified, I'm doing air quotes, the people can't see it. If there is a way to be holy, the only way that that can happen is to be genuinely and authentically who who you are. Exactly. And that means flawed, right? I mean, that means we screw up sometimes and that's Brandon okay. ain't liking this. Yeah. He didn't like it. Well, I just I just know that, and maybe you weren't going here. I was triggered. I'm going to name my stuff. Brandon's being a white woman today. No, I'm actually not. I, I'm, I know white women, which is why I was triggered. So for me, like one of the things that you're going to hear on this pod regularly are conversations across culture. One of the things you should have already noticed is that one of these things is not like the other. Sam is straight. And... <laughs> <laughs> 
And Katie happens to be a white woman whose first name is Karen, but we don't call her that because that triggers me as well. One of the things of which I am frequently suspicious is when white women go to a place of talking about being flawed and being sinful, because oftentimes that gets utilized as a justification for their whiteness and their white supremacy and an excuse not to deal with it. Well, we're all just flawed and the only person who's holy or the only being who's holy is God. And to me, what that signals is I am inevitably going to be a white racist or a white supremacist and I don't have to ever work on that because I'm just a flawed mere mortal. And so whenever I hear that language coming in, yes, I do get triggered. That's my shit. But I think it's probably also white women's shit as well, which explains the trigger (laughs) for me. But you were saying. No, that's, I mean, that's really helpful because for me, it means um, I think of being flawed as meaning that we're going to screw up in terms of being perfect. Like I'm incapable of being perfect and therefore I'm going to be flawed. But that doesn't negate the necessity for the journey, right? I think that authentic relationship actually um, necessitates screwing up. So if we were sitting here having this conversation and you didn't say that, that's not an authentic relationship that doesn't move us somewhere. So I think, um, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but the journey necessitates screwing up and it necessitates being in the depth of a relationship enough that you can say, that doesn't work for me. Or like, you can't just say, I'm going to be flawed and let it go. You have to actually be working towards something being better. Right. If I were to interpret all the things that I just heard, I would say that God is holy because God is holy God's self. God is holy, H-O-L-Y, because God is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, God's self. And that's the only thing that makes God holy. And the only way that we can be holy is to be holy ourselves. Correct. I understood what you said. I'm wondering if folks listening will understand what you said with the distinction between holy, H-O-L-Y, and W-H-O-L-L-Y. I think I may have forgotten the L when I spelled it, but I do know how to spell holy. It's about authenticity, mm-hmm. right? I mean, holy, the, the W-H-O-L-E, whole, um, <laughs> is about <laughs> the authenticity piece <laughs> that Katie was attempting to name earlier. Oftentimes, when people were trying to explain what it meant to be holy, they said you had to be God-like. Mm-hmm. And for me, that can be taken multiple ways. To be God-like could mean I ascribe certain characteristics to God, and then I attempt to be the same things that God has been by the testimonies of Scripture, by the testimonies of people's experiences, by other historical accounts. And oftentimes, they would leave out the ones where God was like telling people to smash babies' heads against stones. Um, the other way to swing that is... These are the characteristics of God. And then if I am to be God-like, then that means I need to figure out what my core characteristics are and live fully into those. And that becomes what is holy for me. To be God-like is to become God-ish. I think the flaw with what I heard you say in the first example is that we don't know what God is like. Even with all of the biblical texts that describe the characteristics of God, they're all incomplete. So Christians would say that you know what God is like because you know who Jesus is. And if you're following Jesus, then that would be your example of holiness. Is that true? Nope. It's one example. It's still incomplete. Even if I believe fully and completely that Christ was the Son of God, it is still an incomplete example of the fullness of God. And the evidence is the fact that God had to produce an example in a human form just so that we can try to understand, which means we're not getting a full or complete picture. It's impossible for us in our human form to attempt to be like God, even if we're following the example of Christ. Declare me a heretic if you won't. I won't. You're speaking my language. Karen. I'm so glad you're calling me Karen now because you said you weren't going to call me Karen. Anytime that we have to pause to make sure you're speaking, I'm going to call you Karen. (laughs) (laughs) I agree that there's no way of us knowing God. There's not even any way of us knowing fully who Jesus is. But I think that part of what our responsibility or our calling is to be in relationship with one another because we can see on this show that we have totally different like understandings of what holiness is. But I come to understand what that means more by being in relationship with each of you. We individually, and even we corporately, even if we had deep intentional relationships with everyone in the entire world, could not grasp the godness of God or even Jesus. 
Sam, what's the second thing that I said and how are you going to respond to that? You talked about God's characteristics and because God was holy God, W-H-O-L-L-Y, that we need to find out what our core, I think you said our core characteristics are or our core attributes. attributes, And we need to try to live fully into those. The biggest issue I think that I have with that is that it's still in some ways using God as a comparison. Dang, I I sound like I'm just, I sound so bad. You sound like I sounded on the mourner's bench. Because I feel like take, you know, you got to take God out of the equation completely. Now, Katie ain't going to like that. (laughs) Katie loves her white Jesus, honey. When, When I say take God out of the equation completely, I mean that the way in which we live into this idea of holiness involves the way we fully live into our humanness. And it's in that that we somehow connect to the divine. And so it can't be the starting point, right? And we can't say the way we get to holiness is we start by looking at God mm-hmm. because we fail each time we try to do that. Because we can't fully comprehend, because we can't fully understand, to start the comparison off with God is setting us up for failure. We live fully into our humanness, and, and somehow in, in that process, there's a connection with the divine as an end result. So I didn't hear you saying, Brandon, that you were starting with God. Maybe I missed something there. I mean, the the sentence started with God. I don't know if I would actually say that, but that is kind of the logical progression of what I said. Gotcha. No, that's fine. Perhaps it's possible for someone to come to an authentic understanding of who they are apart from God. I think that that has to be possible. So I'm okay with that. For me, I can only understand who I am in relationship with God. That doesn't mean that I'm comparing myself to God, but I can only understand who I am in relationship to God. You don't agree with that? Well, I don't agree with it only because this is what happens, and this is why people don't ask questions, and this is why churches are scared, and they don't ever want you to ask questions because when you pull the thread, that thing keeps unraveling. How do you ever come to know God beyond yourself? At some point, you're still getting introduced to somebody's version of God, somebody's interpretation of God. Christian theology can be a bit of a box that isn't helpful. So Christian theology wants to presuppose that the Trinity, God the parent, God the child, and God the spirit, were all three in existence from the beginning of time, working together to perform the work of creation, to redeem humanity, to comfort humanity. There is an understanding of the Trinity that suggests that there are sort of these dispensations or these versions of God that emerge throughout time. And so there's a way in which For me, at least, I'm sitting here looking at the fact that God creator, at least in terms of the chronological order of the canon, created humanity, birds, the earth, fish, created all these entities, and then let that project go for a while. And then something happened over the course of human history. In some ways, this is constructive theology, right? God actually changes because of God's relationship to another being, another entity. Once things get to a certain point, God says, something about me has to change. There's a need for me in a new embodied format. There's a need for me to become human so that I can understand what that means to be human as I've never done that and so that humanity can get back to what its purpose and intention is, at least as God thought it should be. And then something about that felt lacking once Jesus actually went through the entirety of the human experience and died. Now, Christian theology would say that Jesus rose again from the dead, but either way, Jesus wasn't around anymore, and God still had to respond to the human condition by embodying or disembodying God's self as a spirit. If we're using God as an example, not a starting point, but an example— then the only way for us to actually become holy and the only way for us to become God-like is for us to enter into deep relationship with another human and be transformed by that. And so the only God that I can ever encounter is the God that is in you. I'll punch you. I will come through this screen and punch you in the middle of your forehead <laughs> because that's that's what I'm coming to understand. And that's what I've been coming to understand for the last few years. And I think most Christians and most folks I know would say, what the hell are you talking about? We just setting God aside and we just focusing on each other and humanity. And you telling me if I do that and I live into that fully and completely, then somehow I see God in that. I'm telling you, that's the only way you can see God. That's the only way. That's the only way. 
the Bible these folks claim to read, I think it's 1 John says, how can you love this God who you cannot see when you cannot love the human, the person, your sibling, who's sitting right in front of you who you can see? There's, it's not possible. I was preparing a, a message for Valentine's Day talking about God's love, and I, I was studying 1 John, and it really has become the text that undergirds ministry that I'll do from here on out because the writer of first John says, as far as we know, none of us have seen God. If you love each other, that's the way that you can perfect God's love. It doesn't say you have to give X amount of offerings. You have to sacrifice a ram or a dove or a sheet or a goat. It doesn't say you got to go into the church and, and lay on the altar or weep and wail and cry. It says love each other. That's the only way you can perfect God's love in you. That's been my text for a very long time. I will say be in relationship with God and one another, but I can only know who God is because of my relationships with other people. And so I'm not sure I've ever encountered a moment where we would agree on something so deeply. And for different reasons. Right. For those of you who are just coming onto this podcast, you've definitely seen the podcast, Art, and you know that we are three ordained clergy humans. We are not people who just put on a clerical collar for the sake of a photo shoot. Sam and I are ordained Baptist ministers. Katie is an ordained Presbyterian minister. It took her a long time to get there because they didn't like the homosexuals and still don't. But that's another story for another episode. Even though we all have a relationship with the Christian tradition, I would suggest that none of us have some sort of fixed or unmovable relationship wherein we espouse a doctrine and that's the way that it has to be at all times forever. You'll hear contradictions on this podcast. You'll hear us change our minds because that's part of what it means to be human. And that's part of what it means to be God-like slash authentic slash holy. We do that. And part of what it means to be holy is to also relate to other faith traditions. We are committed to that. So before the break, I do think a quick nod to our Jewish siblings may be helpful. I was listening to a snippet from a BBC radio interview, although BBC means something completely different depending on what website you're on. Um, I was listening to... <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but I'm not going to look it up. Big Black... <laughs> It's a, uh, oh you, you. I got you. I'm there. I'm there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, if you didn't know that either, God bless you. Don't search it unless you're going to the BBC website. But I was listening to a snippet from a BBC radio interview wherein Rabbi Jeremy Lawrence discusses how Judaism thinks about holiness. Rabbi Lawrence says, holiness is the ability to elevate the worldly, not abandon it. He talks about how he doesn't back away from temptation, how sometimes giving into the seductive inner voice results in a win, and other times it's a loss. The examples Rabbi Lawrence uses of temptation are so mundane. There's an everydayness to what he describes, giving into buying a 3D cartoon animation software, purchasing a ukulele that you know you'll never play. For me, this amplifies the reality that our lives are actually filled with temptations, and daily, we yield to them. Temptation is what makes us human. Pleasure, desire is what makes us human. Some of the things we identify as good, being married, buying a home, having children, pursuing a business venture. Smoking a blunt. Smoking a blunt <laughs> are nothing more than temptations. So much of what we have and what we give is intertwined with temptation, desire, and pleasure. What I appreciated about the interview and perhaps Jewish teachings on holiness more broadly is that it highlights that taking pleasure in the world is not inherently a bad thing. It's about how we manage our pleasures or how we, where we put our priorities as we indulge in said pleasures. Yeah, Katie, I love the fact that uh, the good rabbi referenced the passage in Deuteronomy where he says that you should serve the Lord your God with all your heart, right? He highlights that the Hebrew text is, and that's the original language, that it was written and it implies hearts with an S mm -hmm. and not just one heart. Yeah, it's plural. It's plural. Yeah, I think he talked about how the uh, rabbis teach that you have to serve the Lord in your spiritual inclination. I think that's the language he used, which helps us maintain a connection with that which is good and or God. But also you have to be sort of holy inside of your second drives or the things that are more self-serving, the things that uh, 
goad us, the things that beg us, the things that invite us to pursue them. Holiness is about how we elevate the worldly. I love that language. And if I'm leaning fully into Rabbi Lawrence's wisdom, I find myself asking very different questions about holiness. If it isn't about self-denial, but about elevation and maybe even self-elevation, how does that impact our understandings of sin and sanctification and all the other things the church has taught us through the years? Or more simply, and beyond the often rigid frameworks that Christianity offers us, what does it mean to be human? <laughs> so did self-elevation take us right back to masturbating in the church again? I was trying to figure out. I mean, out. sort of. I mean, depending on what your anatomy is, because it, it elevates. Right. Boing. Right. When we come back, we'll engage in part two of this conversation, wherein we will dig a little deeper into sin talk in the Christian tradition and how it has been used as an oppressive tool to maintain a particular social order that attempts to keep Black people, queer folks, trans siblings, women, and so many other people under the foot of straight identified white men. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Holy Shit Pod is brought to you by Theolab Media, a media network working to transform how humans engage faith, spirituality, and the world. Theolab believes that candid dialogues that are rooted in authenticity and vulnerability can foster courage and help each of us cultivate truly life-giving relationships with God and one another. Find out more by visiting theolabmedia.com or heading over to Instagram and following at Theolab Media. All right, let's get back to the show. So let's press on a little further and see what the end's going to be. By now, you probably realize that the title of this podcast is Holy Shit, and you're either listening because you think that we're sacrilegious and unholy, God bless you if that's you, and I mean that in the Southern way, or you're intrigued to figure out how the fuck three clergy members can have holy shit on a podcast with collars on, God bless you as well, and I mean that in the loving way but probably also Southern. So this next part of the conversation is intended to more intentionally think about the relationship between the so-called holy and that which we've learned to call shit. We just wrapped Black History Month, and the thing that continues to bother me about American Christianity, but also global Christianity, is the way that the tradition, the scriptures, and religious leaders have been used to oppress and I pronounce that, oh, real heavy, oppress, black oppress, folks. Oppress, suppress, depress, depress. All of the presses. Christian leaders did suggest that slavery was necessary for the sanctification of the Negro. Slavery apparently made black folks holy, if you will. Did y'all know that there's a museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C.? Where is it? I don't know where it is. I was Googling stuff in preparation for this recording, and I was like, oh, there is a museum of the Bible in D.C. I'm going. I kind of want to go, too, and this is why. So as I was prepping for the episode, I came across this link to the museum and then went down a Google rabbit hole learning all about it. And the most interesting thing that I found is there is on display in the museum a quote, slave Bible, end quote. This joint is so shady, y'all. The slave Bible uh, starts with creation, and then it jumps to Joseph getting sold into slavery by his siblings. And of course, it highlights why that was a good thing. You can't forget that it was a good thing for Joseph to be enslaved. And then it jumps to slavery in Egypt. Uh -huh. And then it skips over the part where Moses leads the people out of bondage. Wow. The entire book of Revelations is left out. Every single bit of it. You can't have slave reading about a new kingdom and new worlds and new heavens without them maybe revolting. I could go on, but I'm sure you get the picture. These motherfuckers strung together the portions of the Bible that cultivated a submissive mindset in black people. There's a part of me that thinks we should have called this podcast What the Fuck because that's really what I want to ask right now. Like, what the fuck? But maybe that can be a segment later on. But this, to me, definitely merits a big, like, extra large, emboldened W, T, and an F. I'm in absolute shock. I'm not in shock. I take that back. It just highlights what we have seen over and over and over again in American history and in American culture, right? Like, I mean, this this is still happening in our education system in like history classes and history books. Like the history books that we have in our schools are the slave Bibles. 
uh, that cherry pick and pick and choose what we inform our children about. And so I'm not shocked, but I'm, I'm in some ways I'm sitting here like you mother, like I'm like Brandon, like, are you like, it's just a continuation of the same shit that's been happening since black people, you know, uh, anyway, I was reading. So Brandon, I was reading Brandon and Katie. I don't want to leave out the white it's woman. It's okay to leave out the white woman sometimes. I mean, they always are taking up space and thinking that they're just like white men. We can leave them out sometimes. Okay. But I want her to hear this because it's got something to do with her people. Karen? The gays. Oh, the gays. The homosexuals. No, not the gays. <laughs> the Presbyterians. <laughs> I'm just glad they called me by name. <laughs> Wait a minute, which people? Is it the gays, the homos? The Presbyterians. The, the Presbys, Presbyterians. okay. He's talking about Presbyterians because they'd be your people too if it's the gays. Well, I'm, that's another podcast. Black gays are different. Wow. I'm serious. White gays don't like us. White gay men are some of the most racist humans you will ever meet. And white women, regardless of their sexual orientation, will always choose one another in their white men. But that's a different podcast for a different day. So Katie's people, oh. the Presbians, <laughs> like the lesbians, but Pres... Presbians, ha. To highlight, to highlight this Bible museum and this slave Bible and the way that scripture historically has been used by white folks to justify the institution of slavery, the sin of slavery. Because if anything was a sin, slavery was certainly a sin. But there's one Presbyterian pastor, Southern Presbyterian pastor. I think this is between the period of like 18, think, think back, Brandon, or, or Katie, maybe, because I think this was right before you was born. Think back to like 1861, <laughs> between 1830 and 1861. An uh, <laughs> this, this Presbyterian Southern pastor, I think around Louisiana somewhere, insisted that the commands were given throughout the New Testament, the New Testament, all in the New Testament, it says it gives you commands about how to regulate and control the institution of slavery. This, this Presbyterian pastor says Christ nor the apostles at any time interfered with the existing relations of master and servant. What did he say, Sam? Read it again because somebody missed it and I don't want them to have to rewind. Go ahead and just say it again for the people. Christ nor the apostles mm. at any time mm -hmm. interfered with the existing relations of master and servant, mm. but in all cases taught the relative duties of both master and servant. Basically, they said Christ and the apostles had an opportunity to say something about slavery or master servant. They ain't never, we don't read any scriptures about that. Another Presbyterian pastor said, Katie, get this. I got to I got to get ready for, to say this shit. This is how outrageous this shit is. I got to get ready. I got to get ready for this shit. You was really licking them lips. <laughs> he was licking. Y'all can't see Sam licking his lips, but he was licking them things. All right, I got to get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> Christ Christ and his apostles acted upon the ground that slavery was lawful. Hmm. Check this out. When Christ healed the centurion's servant, he did not rebuke the centurion. That's how they read that Bible. This, these are two Presbyterian pastors, white, pink toe, Presbyterian pastors. Why they got pink toes? I had never heard that before. I don't know. That's what that's what that's what we call white folks. I've pink toes. I mean, I I get it, but I've never heard anybody <laughs> say it. I mean, I've heard honky and cracker, but pink toe. Uh, is that a racial? Is that a? Is that a? Is that a? Uh, I don't know. I just heard. I've heard it said before. I don't know. You can say I like it. I thought it was fascinating. <laughs> Y'all are crazy. But we could go down the list. Like there are so many Presbyterians who fought to justify slavery. Like Thomas Smythe is another Presbyterian that I came across who did the same exact thing. And this is what pissed me off about Thomas Smythe. A lot of what happened and continues to happen as it relates to Black people's existence in the world is based on what they call science. Like they try to utilize science to say that we are genetically anatomically, biologically inferior to white people. And because the Christian pastors didn't want science to override them, didn't want science to become more popular and or the religion of the day, Thomas Smythe had this to say, and quote, the scientific approach would remove from both master and servant the strongest bonds by which they are united to each other in mutually beneficial relations. God is in this whole matter. I'm still quoting. The relation now providentially held by the white population of the South to the colored race is an ordinance of God, a form and condition of government permitted by him. 
So I believe that Willie James Jennings summarizes it by saying, put simply, scientific anthropology bestialized slavery and Adamic theology sanctified it. It wasn't enough just to have slavery codified in our science, and I'm using air quotes, it had to be sanctified, made holy by Christian theology. Karen, speak for your people. <laughs> My people did all kinds of stuff. No, to... I, wait, before she speak, this is what I'm trying to figure out when she was earlier talking about holiness for Presbyterians was to just do good. To whom? I know. To whom? That's... No, he didn't. <laughs> Because you know Sam got, a, Sam got a corrective spirit. I'm just trying to be like him. So I didn't bring this up earlier because I knew we were going to talk about slavery. But I'm trying to figure out if you understood that to be the thought from your Presbyterian upbringing, when did that start being the prevailing thought? Because it damn sure wasn't a thought when they was writing this shit. Well, they thought they were good. Who was the they in that sentence? <laughs> the white people. The white Presbyterians. I'm assuming that the black Presbyterians were not thinking that was okay. They weren't Presbyterians. They were enslaved. <laughs> I'm not trying to jump on you, Katie. I'm sorry. But we are. No, you can. It's my tradition. I think that, I mean, the reality is that the Presbyterians did all kinds of maneuvering in order to justify uh, keeping slaves. Dr. Lisa Weaver, who was on the Mourner's Bench podcast, she's done so much research into the Presbyterian minutes of all of their general assemblies and all their meetings of how they could actually justify slavery and keep it going, even as they were baptizing slaves. What they knew was that once you baptize someone, once someone is actually in the faith or a, a sibling in Christ, that they are free. They would have to treat them differently. Yes, the history of our church my denomination is that we actually gave up what we believed in order to keep people enslaved. So please jump on the Presbyterians. Well, and they named it as good, right? Correct. It's mutually beneficial is what you said. Mutually beneficial relations is what he said. Right. No, ma'am. No, sir. And here's the deal. With holiness as a construct, whether that is a behavior modification in terms of not smoking, not drinking, not cussing, or doing good in the world, my question is what theological hurdles do you have to jump through to call what you're doing holy? If what you are doing is not good, period, point blank. The next faithful step is not to jump through a theological hurdle to try to justify it and name it as good. Like, what does holiness actually mean? Who does it actually benefit? Is there a standard that exists beyond us as individuals? Or is it something that is truly internal? Is it something that only can come from us tapping into who we are and the fullness of who we are? Well, I think this is where it comes back to the necessity of being in relationship with one another and the inability to understand who we are or who God is unless we are in relationship with other people. My white Presbyterians were not in a mutual beneficial relationship with their black slaves. With the black people they enslaved. Thank you. My white Presbyterian... Don't, don't edit it. Just leave, just leave it like that. You want them to hear us calling us slaves. No, I think that's helpful. And I think we should leave all of this in. And I think that some of the ways that we are wrestling with each other is actually helpful. Okay. Because I don't believe that there are good white people. But one of the things that I do believe is that there are white people who commit to the journey of becoming good. And I would argue that to become good, you have to become black, at least politically in your mindset, because everything about white life in American context has been situated upon positioning itself as the authority and the good mm. and jumping through these theological hurdles to name itself as good. And so... At this point in my life, I would not do a podcast with a white person who I did not believe was pursuing being transformed by the renewing of her mind. And so even Katie, who is pursuing that transformation, who's pursuing that renewal of her mind, fucks up. All the time. I'm a flawed person. Oh, <laughs> there she go again. You see, but that, but, but because we got a relationship, we can do that. Right? Because it's only because of the relationship that we can do that. Should I try to cry now? Let's no, sorry. don't cry, bitch. Don't cry. No white tears. No tears. Katie's tears not clear. They white. They're like Elmer's school blue. 
We don't want your white tears. But it's only the relationship that allows us to do that. And that takes a long time. And you are going to fuck up. And because of the ways that all of us have been socialized and how whiteness has inscribed itself on the tablets of your heart, you're going to say shit that's problematic. And you have to be open to the correction. You have to be open to the conversation and not get defensive and go cry in a mug. I got a mug that says white woman's tears and it's overflowing. I have a movie line for almost everything Brandon says, like a movie line pops in my head. And when he said there are no good white people, I thought about the scene uh, when Joe Clark in Lean On Me is at the school board meeting and he said God spoke to him. And he said, God said, Joe, you know damn good. And so, Katie, I want you to remember that quote. Whenever you start to get in your feelings or get in yourself, think you're doing good work, you know damn good. None of y'all. You know she's going to go watch this movie now. You know damn good. But it's real. You know damn good. <laughs> Katie, go watch the movie, girl. I know your Netflix has got all the black shit in it. Go ahead and watch it. What movie is it again? I was... Lean on me. Oh, Lean on me. Yeah, oh, with okay. Morgan Freeman. Wait a minute. You said it like you've had already you've already watched it. Oh, Lena, she ain't watched that shit. She ain't watched I know shit. she ain't. <laughs> I haven't watched it, but I know that it's out there. I don't watch movies, but now, I I mean, I do all kinds of things now. So before we wrap this segment, I do want to push pause because as is often the case on this podcast, if we come up with the plan, sometimes me and Sam will go off on a tangent and Katie will just roll with it. And it's so precious. And I love you for it. When we were initially talking about having an episode, an opening episode on holiness, Katie was in this space of asking questions like, I mean, so what what is this shit? And can this shit help us grow kind of like composting? It was such a white way to frame the question. It was so cute. Not because black people don't compost. I didn't ask that question. Somebody, one of our listeners asked that question. Oh. Don't blame the listeners. (laughs) Don't you blame the listeners. (laughs) That was cat. It was, it was cat. It was cat. (laughs) So we did poll a few listeners of the Mourner's Bench, that old podcast, to figure out what topics they wanted to hear on the new Holy Shit Pod. And one of the things that came up is this question about what is sin. And I think in some ways we've arrived at a conclusion, but the question that I heard, and I think it was through a white lens, and I'm grateful for the listener who asked it, was, you know, can shit be good? And is there shit that can be composted and help us grow and produce goodness in our life and in the world? And Katie, because you're our resident token white woman, like, I'm curious how you heard that question. And then also based on where the conversation has progressed, where do you sit with that question now? I think that when I hear that question initially, what I wonder is if it goes back to that, uh, the Joseph text, right, where Jesus, or where Joseph says, that text where Joseph says, what what you meant for evil, God meant for good, and people will use that to justify all kinds of things, that God can take things, anything, and, and make it good. And so that's how I heard the question, and I find that challenging because I think that's not how I would say it. I do think that in, in the course of being in relationship, the course of living and the shit that happens in the world. Um, I know that in my own life, I have learned things from really deeply shitty situations. I would love to have learned them some other way, but I think that in the midst of the shit that is the world around us, I have a desire to be in relationship with other people, not, not all other people, but, but people with whom I trust. And in there, I can cultivate holiness if that's, you know, if that's what we're looking for is that deepness of authenticity of relationship, that it is that that sustains me in the midst of the shit of the world. That I could go with, but but I have a hard time kind of thinking of how does the bad things, how can we compost and grow? And I have a hard time with that question. That's why we got to think the holy and the shit together. It's actually not a binary. Because the reality is in this clusterfuck of a country what we have to begin acknowledging is there is always a power dynamic at play in naming anything. When you choose to name something, especially something or someone who hasn't named for you themselves, there's a power dynamic at play. And so for me, embodied as a black gay man in America, I don't got no time and no space for shit, at least not shit as white folks have defined it for centuries because white folks called me shit. First, we got to realize, hey, I'm not shit. Sam ain't shit. What? My mama ain't shit. What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> what? But I'm glad you went down that road because after you said Sam ain't shit, I was about to say your mama ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. 
But ultimately, I think I'm trying to highlight on this podcast, we are committed to thinking the holy and the shit together because I think that it is uh, debunking the binary logic and committing to thinking the world together, thinking humanity together, thinking the holy and the shit together and letting those terms grow into something new is what it's all about. I'm not interested in any sort of narrative that sanctifies suffering or that fantasizes or romanticizes oppression. For right now, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll introduce to some and present to others a segment we like to call The Mourner's Bench. In this segment, we conduct a good old Black Baptist altar call by inviting a few people to have a seat on the Mourner's Bench for the purification of their foolery. If you did not follow the first podcast from Theolab Media, which was entitled The Warner's Bench, still streaming on all podcast platforms for a limited time. If you didn't follow us there, you are in for a real treat when we come back from this quick break. Stick around for a good old belly laugh. And go grab your pearls, honey, because sometimes it gets a little messy. I'm looking at you, Sam. Oh, what you looking at me for? You just said I ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> Exhibit A. Let's go to break. So what music is going to be playing when I start reading this? The music that I played yesterday that's on that trailer. What does it sound like? Ding. It sounds like like a Taze, uh meditation shit. No, that's <laughs> when I'm talking. But when you're talking, it's like, I mean, it's got a little beat and a groove to it. So up. So do it up okay. and fun. I'm about to do it up. Hey, y'all sit your ass down to that. Oh, hey, hey. Before we go to the final segment. No, I'm kidding. And we're using it. <laughs> no, no, no. What's up, good people? No, I'm sorry. I just, I love that. I wish you never started saying that because now I want to say it. Stupid. Can I say family? Do I, is it like everybody family? Mm-hmm. What's up, fam? Before we go to the final segment, we would be grateful if you did us a favor. Grab your phone and reopen your podcast app. Open the new Holy Shit Pod homepage and hit the subscribe button. This will ensure you receive notifications when new episodes are released and that you never miss when shit is going on the pod. Shit on the pod. Shit's going down on the pod. Oh, I missed that part. I was like, why does it say shit going down? It does. Reading is fundamental. This will ensure you receive notifications when new episodes are released and that you never miss when shit is going down on the pod. And finally, we always appreciate hearing from listeners. If you have feedback on our first episode... If you have feedback, like... Feet. Chicken feet? Yeah. Feedback? Feet. (laughs) Feedback. I don't want that. I don't want your feedback. I don't. If you have feedback on our first episode, or you want to send us a few questions to discuss on a future episode, send an email to holyshit at theolabmedia.com. Let us know a little about you and share whatever feedback or questions you may have. Now let's head on over to the morning's bench. Alabama education is serving you well. All right, good people. The time has come and the hour is nigh. It is time for our weekly closing segment that we like to call The Mourner's Bench. Stop flicking me off, Sam. If you are someone who did not come to the Holy Shit Pod after listening to The Mourner's Bench podcast, this will be new for you. But here's the short story. In the Baptist church, The Mourner's Bench is where you go when you want to be saved or confess your sins. When you've been backsliding and sinning, here on the Holy Shit Pod, we believe there is no sin greater than white supremacy. So typically, that's who you're going to see sitting on the bench. But we also believe that the mourner's bench is an equal opportunity employer and that you might see some other asses on the bench. And we also believe that white folks ain't the only folks who can be white supremacists. I'm looking at you, Clarence Thomas. So today, who is on the bench? You asked who was on the (laughs) bench. (laughs) Never. <laughs> did I do it right that time? Or did I did it sound like bitch again? <laughs> Who's on the bitch? That's so bad. Oh my gosh. Who's on the bench? That's for Dallas in North Georgia. A faithful listener. What was that I just heard? You go, Sam. 
Something Katie's playing in the background. <sighs> so sick of Katie. Stop watching porn while we're doing the podcast. She been stuck <laughs> on that thing ever since I talked about masturbating in the church, honey. She was like, I wonder if I can find a video of that. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All I hear is, ah, ah, ah. Katie, come on, man. Oh, my gosh. She's like, did Pornhub delete the church content? <laughs> Uh, um. The listeners can't hear, but we just heard. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> this is outrageous. Outrageous, Katie. I didn't hear it, so, but I don't even smell it. Katie is so, she's getting whiter. I didn't think it was possible. She is. Yeah, she's turning pink. I got my pink toes. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> Who's on the bench? Who's on the bench, Katie? Are you putting somebody? I'm going to put Ted Cruz on the bench for in the middle of the ice storm and um, crisis where there's no power, no water throughout the state of Texas. Ted Cruz heads to Cancun to some resort uh, with his family and apparently other families of whatever private school they go to um, to get away from the crisis. And then once he got called out for it from everybody, he headed back home and blamed his wife, blamed his children, blamed everybody for leaving and headed out of the country. To Mexico. To get away from a crisis. To Mexico. I think that's so important to know that he went to Mexico. Did he help build the wall down there? He Right. I was about to say, apparently he got through the wall. I don't like to give Ted Cruz a lot of my time. He is on my ever-loving nerves. He's been on my nerves ever since I found out who he was. And I'm also like, sir, how inconsiderate can you be to take your lily white family with your last name being Cruz and try to go to Mexico as if you have some ancestors that you can trace yourself back to who live there? You are not actually Latino, even though your last name is Cruz. So I'm going to get in trouble for this. Or maybe not because none of them may be listening. But given this episode, I want to put all Pentecostal and holiness folks on the bench. Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> all of them? Like the whole denomination? The whole denomination. They're going to be sitting next to those white Presbyterians. We might, I don't know what we're going to do. All of them. The Presbyterians and the Pentecostals, I'm putting them on. But you know what? It's going to be okay. There's going to be room. <laughs> Because all the Pentecostals will end up under the bench because they're going to be shouting, shouting under the bench. That's right. Or they'll be walking the back of the bench because they're shouting. <laughs> I've never seen someone do that successfully. I hope they fall. Why are they on the bench? <laughs> in light of this conversation, and, and we're, I mean, it's hard to talk about holiness and sanctification, all this stuff without talking about sin, right? And if we had had a broader conversation on sin, I would have talked about how sin is anything that gets in the way of, your, of you being human, right? Mm-hmm. After defining it in that way, the things that those, whether they are actual holiness and Pentecostal in denomination or whether they're holiness and Pentecostal in ideology, their attempts to regulate people's behavior, in my definition, even though they think it is aspiring to holiness, I think it is sin. So I actually think the Pentecostals and the holiness are being sinful when they are trying to correct behavior that gets in the way of people being fully human. So I'm putting all of the holiness and the Pentecostals on the bench. Are they allowed to shout when they get there? Yeah, they can do what they want to do. Will they be required to handle snakes? No, they can't. But And they have to wear pants, the women. <laughs> or, pa- or pantyhose. Or pantyhose with a skirt that goes down to your calves. <laughs> no, no, no. They got to wear mini skirts or pants. Why mini skirts? Do you know what a mini well, skirt is? Well, not a mini skirt, but they have to wear a very short cut. Uh, skirts that come way above their knees. Why? Because their assumption or their rule is that you need to practice modesty. Dress needs to drag the floor. You can't wear pants. Women are supposed to wear, you know, female garments. So they they need to wear short skirts and pants. Oh, I got you. I see. I got it now. I caught up. I caught up. And that's going to be how they are renewed. And thongs. Uh, And thongs. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we're teetering really closely to sexism. I think you've passed it. I think the thong was the line that crossed it. I know. I'm sorry. Right, don't put right, that. Right. Don't put the thong part in. No pun intended. Oh, <laughs> oh see, now you got to leave it in. <laughs> I know. I know. That's hilarious and horrible. I feel like we should introduce another segment 
and that's to be the snake handling segment so we can get some people <laughs> off of the bench. Do those who were placed on the bench in our previous podcast remain on the bench or are we like starting over? Is it like a reset or is it just like a growing bench? Oh, if it's a reset, then we should have put you on the bench. Yeah. No, ma'am. No, sir. We are not going to do that today. We are not going to do that today. You don't think you're going on the bench? I am holy and I'm righteous. Amen, lights, as we say in the Baptist church. <laughs> Amen, lights. <laughs> Y'all don't hear me. <laughs> I was about to say, man shall not lie with man. I'm just playing. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Y'all told me I needed to lean fully into the fullness of who I am. I'm leaning in, baby, the fullness Listen. of who I am. Hey. Are you putting somebody on the bench? Because there's somebody else who has to go on the bench, but I'm figuring you're putting them on the bench. Do I know who you're talking about? I don't know. We need to put the Republicans who have this stupid HB 351 here. In this. Okay, you do that. Also, I'd like to put on the bench the Republicans in the state of Georgia who have sponsored this HB 531 that is pretty much going to just gut any election possibilities. Early voting. Sunday voting. Sunday voting. First of all, like Georgia apparently didn't have much voter fraud, but now they're going to go ahead and just take out any possibility. There's never been voter fraud. That's also on the bench. There's never been voter fraud. But their Republican Secretary of State said there was none, and now they feel like they can have an ability to just dismantle all voting possible so that they prevent black folks from voting, or people from voting. It's black people. It's black people. Let's be crystal clear. Black people and what they used to call nigger lovers. Anybody who votes along that block who might vote for Stacey Abrams, they need them to be suppressed in their vote. So they're all on the bench. I'm so tired of them. And I called this. I knew that they were going to do this at the first possible moment. And they are already working to systematically disadvantage black people in the next election and retain their power. And somebody tried to call that shit holy. Who tried to call it holy? I don't know. I'm just saying that somebody might have done that. They could think they're doing the work of the Lord, but they're not. It's so discouraging. Mm -hmm. So in this same vein, I am just so sick and tired of being sick and tired, but there is plenty of good room on this bench. And I would like to put on the bench Tom Buck. Do y'all know who Tom Buck is? The, um, the first person that recorded Nuck If You Buck? Close. And <laughs> that's actually the wrong name, but Tom can go on the bench too. I'll come back to him in a second. The name is Scott Swatford. Lil Scott's on the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he occupies the seat of pastor at Rockdale First Baptist Church. Scott had the nerve to say, from the place that I assume they call the pulpit, if Joe Biden was to step down, and I quote, Jezebel has to take over. And as if that wasn't enough, he continued to make sure everybody knew exactly who he was talking about, and he said, Jezebel Harris. Isn't that her name? So here's the deal. I'm not going to give you too much of my energy, Scott. But what I will say is this. For you, Tom Buck, and any other pastor who suggested you didn't know the ways in which or the extent to which your comment was laced with decades, centuries of racist and sexist tropes against black women, you're lying. I would do a full read today, but again, I'm not giving you that much of my energy or my time. Also, in some ways, we're planning to talk about this more on next week's episode. Holy Shit Pod listener Francesca out of Nashville, Tennessee, wrote in to request that we talk about gender roles in the church and the world and how they need to be, and I quote, laid down by the riverside. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself, Francesca. I could not agree more. And so we're going to talk about that next week. I know that this story about Vice President Kamala Harris is old and that it's out of the 24-hour news cycle, but I wanted to lift it up today and next week because this won't be the last time that a white man, or a black man for that matter, because we don't get a pass, but it won't be the last time that somebody says some foul shit about the vice president, especially now that the vice president is a woman and is black and is Asian. So to anyone and everyone who thinks like Scott, to anyone who feels like Tom, your patriarchy and your sexism are showing. And we need you to sit here on this mourner's bench just for a little while and get your entire life together. But more on that next week. Again, I'm not giving y'all my energy or my time. So to wrap up this episode, I want to try something a little bit new here on the Holy Shit Pod. As much as we rant and we rave and we read people at the end of episodes, 
And even as much as we fuss, fight, and rage against the things that remain challenging about the church, America, and the world, this podcast really is an invitation to think and live in new ways that aren't dependent on or tethered to religious bigotry in the name of God. So I want to end each episode with a simple, short invitation, maybe even an intervention of sorts. And today, the invitation for you is this. For the next week, think about what it means to be holy. What have you learned about what it takes to be holy? Who taught you what it means to be holy? What associations do you have with that word? Ultimately, holiness is about wholeness. It's about being the fullest, most alive, most authentic, most loving human you can possibly be. And if you've learned that holiness is about all the things you shouldn't or you cannot do, don't cuss, don't smoke, don't drink, don't have sex, don't be gay, don't get high, don't be prideful, don't sag, don't wear that do-rag, don't wear that thong or anything else for that matter. Whatever you've learned, if you've learned that holiness is about saying no, I invite you to consider the possibility that they got it wrong. And as a result, you're getting it wrong too. Holiness is about a yes. A yes to God. A yes to the world. A yes to your community. And a yes to yourself. Like Rabbi Lawrence said, elevate the worldly. Elevate your mind. Elevate your humanity. Don't abandon it because that's the furthest thing from being holy. So go be whole and I promise you that in your wholeness, you'll both be more human and more holy. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe or follow button at the top of your feed. If you happen to be listening in Apple Podcast or another podcast app that allows ratings and reviews, we'd appreciate you taking three minutes to rate and review the Holy Shit Pod. And if you want to connect with us, you can email holyshit at theolabmedia.com or get at us on social media by following either at The Holy Shit Pod or at Theolab Media on all channels. All right, good people. We'll be back next Monday. Until then, peace.